Okay, so on today's episode of The Physician Grind, we wanted to bring on a physician who's been particularly active during everything that's been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement. So today we have Dr. Hamong Acharya on the show. Hey, Zahir, thanks for having me today. Uh, so to give you a little bit of background, I grew up around Boston. Um, I've always kind of had an interest in health equity and social justice. It was definitely one of my big projects throughout college and then I went to med school out there and I went to Harbor UCLA for residency which was a county hospital as you know um, over there you definitely see on the front lines the consequences of health inequity as most of our patients there are either uninsured or underinsured and also just live in environments a lot of them for their whole lives where they sort of encountered injustice after injustice that were built in from a structural level and um, that really kind of hammered into me that, uh, you know, physicians have a role in health justice and also advocacy. So I decided to pursue a fellowship at UCLA in International Domestic Health Equity. So I obviously had to be involved with this movement that's going on right now. How are you involved with the movement that's going on right now? I've been trying to be involved through direct action, which has been mainly through participating in the protest, both as an ally for those who are there and most directly affected by these policies, and also as a healthcare provider as well. I feel that as an emergency medicine physician, I have a unique skill set that can be applied in this setting, especially in the context of the police brutality that I've been witnessing at these protests throughout the country, including in Los Angeles. What have you seen at the protests, and how has it been so far? The protests I've been to so far, which have been five of them, have all been very peaceful. Um, There have been some people arrested. I was not at any of the protests personally where there was direct violence against protesters or medical workers. But as you have probably heard throughout the country, including in Los Angeles, North Carolina, Austin, Texas, New York City, There have been incidents of police violence against protesters and also against medical personnel providing care at the protests. Once I heard this, I felt that I really had to be out there even more so and also be ready to help people who are, you know, becoming victims of the same police violence that they're protesting against in the first place. I'm guessing that you're... MPH and your fellowship that you're currently pursuing all has played a significant role in your decision to participate and be active in this movement. Yes, definitely. I think in the emergency department, because we're the safety net really of all of society, the place where we treat all patients regardless of their background, ability to pay really without any judgment, we kind of see the consequences of all of the social policies um, that have been in place really throughout history in this country, I would say. So... All the exacerbations of the chronic conditions are not always due to a person's individual choices. A lot of it has to do not with their life circumstances, but also with the generational history of where they grew up with. And in Los Angeles, you know, this ranges from things like redlining housing policies to education inequities to really inequities in the healthcare system and the way that care is delivered to individuals in some of these communities. So I think as physicians in the 21st century, we have a responsibility to give better care to these patients and recognize some of these issues that have been there historically and make healthcare equitable for everyone.
That's so important that you highlighted that, Heimong, especially because we oftentimes think of health inequality on a more grand scale when, in fact, it can oftentimes occur with the physician sitting next to you at your workstation. We were at a protest together um, in Hollywood this last weekend when one of the other protesters called us out. And that moment has really stuck with me because it's caused me to really reflect on my practice and the practice of my colleagues and to ensure that we are indeed providing equitable care. Yeah, so the story you're talking about is we were at the protests in Hollywood and we were there in the context of being both uh, allies to Black Lives Matter and supporting the protests over there and also sort of as protest medics as well. We had some medical supplies with us and had identified ourselves as medical professionals there. Uh, someone saw us and acknowledged that we were doctors and said, "You next time you should believe a black woman when she said that she's in pain. Uh, which was really striking to hear. It's one of the biggest health inequities, I think, that's been studied and is very clearly established in the literature, but it still happens right now, and it really makes you reflect on your own implicit biases that we all have regardless of our background. As physicians and health leaders, we can't just be not racist. We have to be anti-racist. We have to look at our own implicit biases, the things that we were taught, the way we think of disease, and question these things and look at the evidence and make sure that we're treating all patients the right way in an equitable way. Yeah, when she first said that to me, initially I almost felt a little defensive and I wanted to tell her I do, but I realized that the right answer for me should have been I will, and that's the answer that I'm holding on to now anytime someone asks me or tells me what their experience is. So this really emphasizes that studying health equity really should be a standardized part of medical and residency education, the same way we study histology or pathology or physiology, any of those things, the history of our field, the way we've treated patients, the way we conceptualize disease is really important and it affects the things we do today and affects different population groups in different way and we need to recognize that and do better. And the movements that are going on right now have really brought this to a head and have shown that there are a lot of people in this country of all different backgrounds who feel the same way and that this is a really important issue. So what do you think are some of the things emergency physicians can do right now? I think the first thing that any person can do in their own emergency department is working to improve the culture in their department. Make sure that you take the opinions of every single person who works there, what their concerns are and what their experiences have been, and then improve any sort of biases that you see. I think Every person who's listening to this can probably relate to an experience where they heard something that was culturally insensitive or insensitive on any other level, and we have to not tolerate that as medical professionals. In addition, things that we can do right now are respecting patient rights. I think that every emergency physician probably, at least who work in the cities, have probably had patients brought in under police custody and have been asked to do what are actually illegal exams, including cavity searches, blood draws, um, and other types of physical exams that would probably fall under assault under the guise that, you know, the police officers are our allies in the community. The fact is that not all police officers are our allies, and if they are violating patient rights and violating the law, you should be supporting your patients and not encroaching on their rights. If you have any question about the legality of what a police officer is asking you to do to a patient, please activate your hospital risk management and medical officer on call immediately, and they should support you because this is the law. To give you some encouragement, there was a case in 2017 you may have heard about about 
a Utah nurse who was asked to do a illegal blood draw on an unconscious patient. She was essentially physically wrestled by the police and then arrested. She recently won a $5 million lawsuit. So feel secure that you're protected in your right to also protect the patient's right. This isn't legal advice, but it's the right thing to do, and you should talk to your hospital risk management if there's any question about the legality of anything that you're being asked to do on someone who's being detained. Those are all really good points, Hamong. Thanks for sharing them. I've had some time now to consider what my experience at the protest was and how I tried to prepare myself to be of use during the protest. And what I realized is that I can serve two purposes. One is to support the protest and the message that it's trying to send. And number two is to be a medic. And initially, I wasn't quite sure what equipment and what supplies I would need to be able to appropriately serve the other protesters. In the emergency department, we're always well stocked. We have all the equipment that we need. But out in the field, you're limited by how much stuff you can carry and understanding what's important to really have with you um, during the time that you're marching. Luckily, I had seen the evidence of what was going on in marches across the country where people were being sprayed with tear gas and pepper spray. That tipped me off that, of course, you want to have solutions that you can irrigate the eyes with. But with all that said, do you have any other advice about what people should bring and how they should prepare themselves to be a field medic during these protests? Yeah, definitely. The first thing I would say is that you should research what it is to be a protest medic because you can't show up there expecting just to do cowboy medicine. There are a set of procedures that you have to follow and laws that you should be aware of. First of all, you should be familiar with BLS and first aid. That's most of what you're going to be doing. I think if you're an emergency medicine provider listening to this, you probably know those things. But there are a few other logistical things to know. The main principle of providing medical care is that you want to do no harm. That means that you're not doing anything that is beyond the scope of your practice, meaning your training, and also what is like actually feasible to do in that situation that you're in. Like, for example, you're not going to be doing like finger thoracostomies in the middle of a street. That's probably not going to save that patient and is probably going to create more harm and they're not going to be able to get to a safe situation after that. So in terms of like the, the nuts and bolts of it, I think that if you're thinking of being a protest medic first of all make sure you have like a safe contact that can help you with legal assistance and be your eyes sort of from far away when you're at the protest make sure you write a legal aid phone number on your body with a sharpie because if you end up getting tear gas or a flashbang you're not going to be coherent and be able to remember someone's phone number Um, In terms of how you should display yourself, the Red Cross is a universal sign of medical care, so you should feel free to put that on your bag or your helmet or whatever you're wearing. And then whatever state you're in, you should be aware of the Good Samaritan laws of that state. So I can tell you for California, it states that no person in good faith and not for compensation who renders emergency medical or non-medical care at the scene of an emergency shall be liable for any civil damages resulting from any act or omission. The scene of the emergency shall not include emergency departments and any other place where medical care is usually offered. And this applies to medical law enforcement and emergency personnel. And the intent of the law is to encourage people to volunteer without compensation to assist others in need during an emergency while ensuring that those people are acting responsibly. So that gets back to doing no harm and doing things that are within your scope. 
So practically speaking, this means don't do things that you think are unsafe to do in the field. And also, it also means that you can't really dispense medications in the field, including over-the-counter stuff. That being said, I have heard that if you're at a protest, sometimes, you know, you can find medications on the ground like Tylenol or Motrin. And I don't know, that happens sometimes. One of the other important principles is that you don't abandon your patient until the care is completed and that patient knows that the care is done, or you transfer it to someone with a higher skill level, or if the scene becomes unsafe for any reason. The other important thing to know is that you should defend your line, meaning that before you get there, you should have a buddy or a few and make sure that you define roles, whether you're going to be one of the frontline providers within 50 meters or so of that frontline or in the back, like 100 meters or so back, and make sure you stick to that spot. I want to reiterate again using the buddy system and then also have a secure messaging application. The app signal is highly recommended because all of the surveillance agencies of the USA really hate it to make sure that you're coordinating all of your activities. Going back to your question about what equipment to bring, I would say the basic minimal things that you should bring is make sure you have an N95 mask, especially in this time of COVID and just like wear it all the time. Make sure you have some comfortable shoes that you can run in. So like some sort of running shoes or boots. Goggles are really good too, especially if they use tear gas. Ideally shatterproof ones too, because they have been using the rubber bullets and want to make sure you don't lose an eye. Having gloves is really important. Um, having a helmet would also be really important. I've also heard an umbrella recommended as well. You can use it sort of as a privacy shield or also to repel some of the pepper spray or tear gas may be coming towards you. And uh, you should not wear any contact lenses or any makeup because if you do get tear gas or pepper spray, that's going to be a world of hurt for you. A lot of people have asked in terms of whether it's appropriate to wear scrubs or a white coat or not. I think that it probably depends on what your role is at a protest. If you're going there to provide medical care, it probably doesn't matter too much if you're wearing scrubs or a white coat. You probably don't want to, actually, because they're going to get ruined. But if you're there as a physician to provide solidarity to the movement, which is also extremely important, then you should feel free to wear those things because it is a powerful image to be a doctor at a protest and advocating for health equity. In terms of actual equipment to bring, um, most of the country is really hot right now, so make sure you bring plenty of water for yourself to stay hydrated, especially if you're wearing an N95 mask and PPE during this time. In terms of supplies, I think that bandages and wound care supplies are the most important. Irrigation supplies are also really important too because of the use of pepper spray and tear gas that we've seen. There's a few studies that have come out. UCSF did a study looking at using Maalox with water as sort of like an antidote or an irrigation material for pepper spray and that seemed to work well in their study and then the military has done studies looking at baby shampoo combined with water and that worked well for them too. I think like overall they've all been sort of observational studies so there's no hard evidence either way so you're probably fine using both or even just plain water honestly um, just don't use milk because if it's unpasteurized or not very well pasteurized you could cause an infection so that's not optimal other than that the things that we've seen so far at the protests um, people have gotten really dehydrated gotten overheated so cold packs are important uh, dermabond can help with like minor lacerations and abrasions trauma shears as well are just always useful if they have the ability having things like a glucometer or narcan or epipen could be helpful just because those are common things to happen in the field but you should look up what the law is in your city before you administer these medications lastly i'd recommend that everyone who's involved with the protest have the aclu blue app installed you can record anything that you think needs to be documented and it will go to the ACLU so it's preserved forever. So you're out at a protest and you see 
a person get injured, you see them get tear gassed, what do you do? So it's a really scary situation to be in being tear gassed or being hit with some sort of projectile and it's a total scene of chaos. So you need to be there calm. You want to introduce yourself to the patient in a calm way, tell them your training and ask for permission to help first of all. Explain what you're doing, explain every step of what you're doing and make sure you stick with them until the treatment is completed. So in terms of injuries that have been seen so far at the protests, pepper spray has been heavily used. Pepper spray is an oil-based capsaicin spray. It's really painful, but luckily it doesn't really cause any lasting damage. If you get pepper sprayed, it lasts for about 5 to 20 minutes. Uh, it's really irritating, but the key is just take slow and deep breaths and uh, just let it drip, honestly. Just you know, bend yourself over, let all the secretions come out really important you don't rub your eyes and nose that will make it worse you can try to use one of those irrigation solutions that we talked about earlier it could help there's also been a lot of tear gas used as well which i've never been tear gassed but it sounds really painful apparently it activates the same receptor as like wasabi so you can imagine that on your whole body but the treatment for that is kind of similar just fresh air time and you can flush your eyes if needed i've been seeing a lot of rubber bullets being used as well and those have caused some pretty severe injuries and that's why i recommend anyone who's involved with these protests in a medical capacity make sure you have a shatterproof helmet and shatterproof goggles as well so there have been subarachnoid bleeds that i've seen as a result of trauma and people have gotten globe ruptures as well too so protect yourself from those they've also caused pneumothoraces at times and really severe skin avulsion so just be aware that these things are pretty serious. Police have also been using the LRADs as well, which are the long-range acoustic devices. They cause this really loud and annoying frequency. It can cause headache, really bad disorientation, and people can hurt themselves as a result of that. So you should bring earplugs as well to have just in case to protect yourself. And lastly, there have been a lot of taser injuries as well. Probably if you work in emergency enforcement, you're familiar with these, so just be aware that those are out there. If these protests do get worse, you should familiarize yourself with the police weapons and tactics that they use, including formations and how to position yourself appropriately to provide patient care and also protect yourself. If you're looking for an online resource, go to the website donohormcoalition.org. It's a website that is run by both physicians, public health specialists, and lawyers that is a aligned with dealing with the sequelae of police violence and has a lot of educational materials for medical providers on how they can be effective medics and also how they can be, be advocates as well within their own departments and communities. Thanks, Heimong. This has been a very informative episode. Thank you so much for giving us all this information. There's been a lot for us to chew on, especially during this time. Providing care to all of our patients equally is a must and something that should be demanded of ourselves and our colleagues. We should continue to rise up and be part of this movement. And a lot of the information you provided with how we can protect ourselves, as well as more importantly, how to protect other protesters. The equipment that you discussed that we need to bring is especially important for those who are new to protest medicine and trying to get more involved. Hopefully this will all lead to a new chapter in which we will focus on providing equitable health care to all those who present to our offices and to our emergency department. Thanks again.